Today we have episode 90 for you guys. We're going to talk about the McGregor-Poirier fight. We're going to talk about Messi finally getting a W on the international stage. England really suffering a tough loss to Italy. The NBA Finals, some of the drama over at ESPN. And our deep dive today is on how to remind yourself things are going well when you feel like they're not. Buckle your seatbelts. Pilot boys are about to take off. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. We're going to talk about the McGregor Poirier fight. This fight <laughs> was very, very different. Yeah. Because very, um, yeah. he, I mean, obviously, was very upset that he had this freak injury. But what stood out to me was that he was still so fired up with his leg literally hanging, right? Like the bones completely disconnected, the legs bent in the middle, and he's sitting there still talking his trash. So he came to win that day and came with that fire. And I think, you know, the limitations of his body are probably pretty frustrating um, now that he's, he's a little older in his career. Yeah, I mean, I think you saw a guy who was very frustrated. And, you know, as much as I uh, champion the sport and the fighters in UFC, part of the reason that I don't tune in, because I think it is a little uh, too gruesome, right, for my for my taste at times. I definitely appreciate the mentality that it takes to win. And, you know, a lot of people have voice their like issues with how Connor handled his frustration. But it's like, I try to remind people, Hey, these two guys are literally fighting in the ring to the death. Yeah. <laughs> um, You're going to be a little fired up in there. Yeah. Yeah. What are your expectations of how they're going to handle their leg being broken? He could have sat there and cried, but he just decided to be pissed off. And I try not to judge people too much for what they do in moments of rage. Uh, some of the things that he did say, quite frankly, were classless. Um, but, you know, when you're fighting a guy in a ring to the death, essentially, I mean, I don't think that political correctness is a bar uh, that we should be setting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I totally agree. It's funny because it's like people totally pick and choose what they want to care about when they care about it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, this was one of those things that it kind of felt like the narrative was set before the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. They were leaning into McGregor's age. It was obviously a gruesome freak accident that you can't really anticipate. But it just goes to show, like, taking care of your body is a really important thing. It's really important to take the right amount of time to rest. It's important to know what's going on. Like, there could have been things like stress fractures from a lot of kicking, from practice, from the last fight even from a lot of moments that could have led up to that injury. Like there's a lot of people talking about, Oh, like he broke it when he kicked, you know, I said Joe Rogan put up a post when he kicked Poirier's elbow. Sure. He might've broken it then, but it was already going to break going into the match. Like a gruesome injury like that has been prepped for months. So the question is really what, what happened with the medical team prior to on the McGregor side where they weren't taking that extra detailed look at the bone composition and structure and really getting a sense of whether his body was ready for that. Yeah, and the reality is that you have to train, right? And 
when you train for mixed martial arts and you are preparing to kick someone's leg repeatedly, how are you going to train for that? You are going to kick something repeatedly, right? Yep. Um, so this is one of those things um, that was a freak injury. I think they're going to have to have a fourth match eventually. Um, and then it's also the other side of this thing, you know, is that people don't realize that in these sports, you know, Floyd Mayweather gets a lot of flack for this as well for intentionally being a bad guy, you know what I mean? Um, or being that ad adversary, it, it leads to both of these guys' bank accounts being enriched. Yeah. Um, so it's like they're playing a character. Understand that this is entertainment. If you're looking for uh, for either anybody in these sports to be like, you know, uh, politically correct all the time, um, they're probably their bank accounts probably aren't 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 reflecting. Uh, yeah. Reflecting that character. Plus, you're probably not watching. No, I mean, Nobody there's a reason he's the only. Boring. Yeah, he's the only real draw in UFC consistently yeah. because he's the only character. You know. Yeah. Yeah, straight up. I mean, that's it's a it's a thing that a lot of the emerging sports talk about. Like I talk to my friends who own different, you know, the smaller leagues and they're itching for somebody to have an attitude because yeah. they want a narrative. They want somebody for people to hate because it brings more eyes. It brings a lot more energy to a sport. Yeah, people invest a lot more in things they hate than things they love, it seems like. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny it's funny how that works i mean it's it's really in all respects like i think about this with us too like the way that we talk on this podcast is funny because i often hear feedback from people that's like well i disagree so strongly with you right and it's like good like i hope you do because i'm also speaking very strongly so <laughs> it should it should cause some strong disagreements right it doesn't mean i'm not willing to have a conversation but it's important to voice things in a clear and precise way to be able to communicate a point or a perspective meaningfully and sometimes that point or perspective is triggering or upsetting to folks and like that's how it goes like that's part of life but it's also part of entertainment yes it is yeah it is. so um this was hard this is a hard one for me to talk about the uh england and uh, Italy match that happened on Sunday. I went to uh, a, a British friend's house, my friend uh, Oliver, to watch this. Um, it was a buzz in there, man. It was like 30, 40 people. Everyone was British. Everyone was just like lit about this soccer match, football. And uh, I, by the way, I was wearing a Ravens jersey. So I decided to rep the other football. But uh, we were there and watching them just lose in PKs was just like and just seeing everyone amazing. just get the just wind sucked honest, out of them. Amazing. It was amazing. For <laughs> well, I mean, I was I was rooting for England because I was with all my British friends. But yeah. man, it was like it's like watching all the energy get totally sucked out of a room in one moment. And I, I just like, wow. This is typical England. Like anybody who knows soccer knows their history. They haven't won anything since the 60s. But I think it's reflective of the attitude. You know, it's funny how cultural attitudes sometimes reflect in um, how they, in sports teams, right? Like yeah. the, the overall personality. And I think if you look at that match, I'm a huge soccer guy, so I follow it 
in detail. If you look at it, you know, England scored that first goal in the first two minutes and the rest of the match, they played not to lose. They didn't play to win. Yeah. Italy dominated the, per- the, the possession. I haven't seen that in a long time. They'd had the ball possession close to 80% of the time. Italy had the ball and they were trying to score most of the game. Yes. So the truth is the team that wanted to win more won. And this is reflective of the issue that England has always had and why they cannot overcome in these big matches. It seems to be this kind of conservative cultural nature of the British reflects in how their soccer teams play. Like it was sad to watch because they had a real genuine opportunity to exercise all the demons and they just did not do it. Um, And then also, you know, part of the reason that I relish seeing the British lose is because I do not care for their fans. Like I've been (laughs) to matches in England. I've been, you know, their fans are very, very mean, mean spirited. They don't even get along with each other, like across the clubs, like (laughs) they fight, they, they do not get along. And then after the match, seeing the type of kind of, underlying this is big in the premier league and throughout the european soccer world the opportunity where people's real emotions come out because two of the players that missed the pks were black players and they dealt with a lot of racial backlash from british fans that came out um, as a result of them missing two pressure kicks that none of these fans could kick themselves they're not in that position to do it and yet they decide to go to the lowest common denominator and and attack a person's race. I give credit to the team and the players for how they handled the aftermath of it um, and dismissing it. But it's just English fans are just they're just not good sports. They're not good people, unfortunately. Your <laughs> friends excluded. Yeah. Well, I'll also toss in um, the there was a missed penalty kick by the Eng, by it was a third kick taken by the english team yeah and uh it was a wide open kick dude just missed the goal he hit the bar right yeah. you, you you just can't you can't do that you got to know you got to know how to kick it into the net from like what is it 15 yards 10 yards away it's yeah. so close yeah and i think it's 6 um it's 6 yards yeah um, oh my god and the the thing about it is 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 that it's a lot of pressure for Penalty sure kicks are I, I remember in the 94 world cup roberto baggio who was the greatest defending player of the year in soccer missed his penalty kick in the final um dude and there's the the famous ones missed over the top yeah I mean, it, it, to, if anything, it is the coach's fault, the manager's fault for putting a player who had just checked in in that type of position who hadn't. Well, they checked anything. him in specifically for that, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just is, it wasn't a good decision by the coach or the manager. And it's unfortunate that sometimes those type of decisions end up reflecting on the player because yeah. strict liability. But plus, he, dude, the um, the other kick, the 18 year old kid who missed the fifth kick. This is a kid, man. He's 18. You've got veterans on this team who are captains of major football clubs, and you put the 18-year-old kid in for the game-winning kick? Yeah, just piss-poor management by by Britain. Yeah, it was a a weird decision. That was a lot of the commentary I saw after the fact was 
hey, why would you why would you as a veteran on the team not use your voice in that moment to say, hey, no, you're not putting a kid in. I'm kicking this kick. We're winning this cup. Yeah, it's just it's just typical English soccer. I mean, I hate to say it and English fans would agree with it. They just they just crumble under pressure. Yeah, that was the that was the sentiment after the fact. It was I mean, it was tough, man, watching watching all these all these people, you know, break their hearts at once. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's karma for all the stuff they did during the colonial era to all these <laughs> all these people. So, <laughs> ever since uh, ever since the Civil Rights Act of 1965, they yeah. haven't won. Yes, they haven't won anything. <laughs> um, moving forward, the uh, um, Argentinian team right won the South American group. Is it with Messi? I always get yep. this confused. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it was a big moment, you know. Messi's my favorite soccer player um, of all time, uh, and he had been receiving a lot of criticism because he'd never won an international tournament with his team. Um, wow! And so this was like exercising that demon and winning Copa America, and then facing Neymar, who's considered, you know, um, yeah. one of the top three players in the world with him and Ronaldo was a huge accomplishment exercising that demon, seeing how happy the rest of the soccer world was for Messi because all the other players coolly appreciate his greatness and think that there hasn't been a player like him. Um, for him to do that um, for his yeah. country was a big, big, big moment for him. Yeah. You know, it's it's nuts too. You mentioned those three. It's like, I know a lot of soccer players. These guys are the most athletic people I meet, period. They're <laughs> fast they're strong they can run forever and then you have Messi, ronaldo and neymar and maybe a couple others that sit on a totally different tier from everybody else and it just it's nuts it doesn't even make sense how you can move like that yeah and specifically with Messi because he's very short he's only like he's only like five four um and and he's able to be the best player of all time it's pretty it's pretty amazing yeah, watching seriously. That, the guy the guy win and move seriously so yeah. moving forward uh we have another amazing sporting event happening at the same time the nba finals uh we saw the bucks take game three about two days ago that was nice man to see Giannis really ball out and i think the bucks demonstrated i mean obviously they're back at home but they demonstrated that when they're clicking on all cylinders they're they're probably the toughest team to beat Yep, they are. I mean, the Bucks' issue primarily is coaching mm. um, and lack of coaching adjustments in terms of talent, in terms of their big three versus the best three players on the Suns. Their best three players are better than the best three players on the Suns at this current moment. Right. You know, um, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, you know, are, are, are right there. But when you put a team together of two way players like uh, Holiday, Holiday is the standout for me. Yeah, Holiday, yeah. Giannis, Middleton, um, and they're surrounded by great role players. If the Bucks don't win this series, it's a direct, um, it's a it's a direct indictment on on Coach Bud um, and his inability uh, to take them over the top. The Suns are going to be a dynasty in a couple of years. But this really should be the Bucks year, considering what they've done over the last few years, getting almost getting there, having the best player, two-time MVP in Giannis, 
um, they should win the series. But the Suns overall play have been playing throughout the playoffs, have been gaining confidence. They beat the Lakers. They beat the Clippers. Um, so they're a very confident team, and they play great team ball, and they play for each other. So when you do that, anybody can win. Yeah. I'm just happy that we have a series now, and we'll see what happens What happens 100%. Tonight. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yes. Tomorrow's Yeah, so it, it'll have already passed when you're listening to this podcast. We don't know the outcome. But yeah. it'll probably be, I'm going to call it right now, and then we'll see if I'm right. I think the Suns will win by six. That's a good call. Good do you, call. Do you have think- one? I think the Bucks take game game four. You know, the Bucks honestly are the better team in my eyes. Yeah. But I think culturally, what Chris Paul has brought to Phoenix is what's required to win a championship. It is. And I mean, I'm not gonna be upset if Chris Paul wins wins a ring. He deserves one for his career. He's probably one of the top three point guards ever to play the game. I mean, I'm not probably definitively one of the top three point guards yeah. they have ever played the game. Um it would be a great, great send off for him if, if he could get a ring because we all know what happens to great players who don't get rings in terms of media, how they get handled. You know, we see it every, every week on TNT when, <laughs> whenever Shaq and Charles get upset at each other, where, where Shaq goes, you don't have any rings, brother. <laughs> I, I would say for this, for this generation, I, I don't think Chris Paul will deal with the flack. I think this, this is his opportunity, right? If he doesn't close this one out, he'll have some flack to deal with. Yeah. But, um, I mean, the way his career has gone, he gets better every year. He has a mental command of the game that is unbelievable. And by the way, he has torn ligaments in both hands. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's He's, not, a warrior. He's a yeah. warrior. He, he does things that people shouldn't be able to do every night. Yeah. I mean, I would hope. I would hope. I'd be happy with either either team winning because I think there it's a it's a nice representation of a shift um, in the competitive dynamic of the NBA, right? Yeah. Uh, they said that the ratings for the finals are up over forty percent this year. I know some of that is pandemic related, but I think it's also you know people really thought for a while that the NBA was essentially fixing it for ratings to make sure LeBron and the Warriors were in the finals, but I think at the end of the day, basketball fans want to see competitive finals and competitive competitive teams play, and it's good to it's, see that the ratings are reflecting that. Yeah, it's fun to not know who's going to win. Yes. It's really fun. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, legitimately, it's the first time in a while I've had, I have just straight goosebumps watching. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's sick. It's um, so... Rachel Nichols, you might have to provide the context here, V, because I am super out of the loop on this. I just know that she's under fire, and a lot of people think that her and Jimmy Butler had a bubble affair. <laughs> I mean, Rachel Nichols has been in in the rumor mill for a lot of affairs. I I don't delve too in too far into that, but mm-hmm. I've heard and a lot of different things, which. You know, if they're not verifiable, then that's not where we need to go. The issue at hand here is Rachel Nichols um, has developed into a pretty high-profile basketball analyst for ESPN over the years. Um, She is the host of The Jump, and then she also uh, was heading ESPN's Anchorage coverage for for their NBA games, basically in-studio coverage which Maria Taylor now um, inhabits that position. 
Um, so she was caught on a hot mic, uh, basically saying that ESPN didn't need to use her for their diversity, uh, their lack of diversity uh, initiatives, basically making her fall on the sword and replacing her with Maria Taylor, that it was kind of a race-based thing, um, which quite frankly, ESPN and their recent history, we know their issues with handling diversity um, started with how they handled females. Now how they, how they handle racial stuff. Um, it's almost like they just put figureheads out there to make it, make it look like they care about diversity, but yeah. that's just surface level. And I think that that is the deeper conversation we're having that Rachel Nichols brings up, right? This is a woman, a white female who, who benefits greatly and draws her living from covering black athletes, the NBA's majority African-American league. Um, and that's how she butters her bread. Um, so for her to, for her real thoughts to come out, it's like, and this is the issue that a lot of people have with white progressives is it's like they're progressive until, until they actually have to pay a price right. to advance diversity. Um, and that is the underlying conversation here, right? Is here's Rachel Nichols, somebody who's embraced. I think it hurts more than anything because she's been in, embraced by the NBA community, by the black players. Um, and for her to make that type of commentary when the pressure was against her was very, very wrong. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, it's the, uh, the number one rule they teach you in press training is always act like the mic's hot when you're mic'd up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's taking accountability for it and you know, people make mistakes, but it's not a mistake. It's your real, that's how you really think, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, I hear that. I mean, at the same time, like I don't really care about this. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a weird story. I think it underlines, uh, it's a weird story in the fact, but it underlines when kind of, uh, one of the issues that we, we have race issues in America, right? And this underscores why things just don't get normal. If you just yeah. get, if you just evaluate, shouldn't have to be evaluated. You should be evaluated by your talent. It's unfortunate for Maria Taylor because she's a really, really good analyst. But ESPN is making it look like she's just got the job because of her race. Yeah, and, and that's that's the issue here is that that we can't undermine people's qualifications and think that somebody's just getting a job because of their race. It's funny too, because it's also like this whole conversation is on the assumption that there was one slot for a female on the show. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the thing that we should be talking about. I mean, we should be talking about all of it. Yeah. Right? You know, we have a, Fair. you know, and, he, and this, this isn't just a, a, a white black issue. It's an American issue because Stephen A. Smith is also in hot water for his very xenophobic com comments on Otani, where he was like, basically like this guy can't be the star of the league because he doesn't speak English. He needs a translator. Like the things that he was saying comfortably just underlines kind of the issues. It just, I don't know what it is, but we have we live in a country where there's a lot of different people from a lot of different countries. Everyone should have more sensitivity and, and cultural awareness. And unfortunately, there's an American, general American thing 
of not feeling like you need to be culturally aware or culturally sensitive anymore. But you know Stephen A's right. He's you, you can't be the star if you don't speak the language that's it's being consumed in. Yeah, but if you look at baseball, the biggest stars, Tatis, none of them, most of them speak Spanish. He's never said anything about them before. You I know? think baseball is a different culture, though. You know what it, I mean? It's one thing. It's 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 one thing to think it. It's another thing. There's no need when you have a positive narrative going on about a player that we've never seen since Babe Ruth, a player be able to hit this well and pitch this well. It's really cheap to create a whole segment during that time, during the hype of the All-Star game, to create an entire segment focusing on a narrative that's not even important. They did it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, I will agree with you there. They did it intentionally. He did it intentionally. It goes underscores my overall point about how the media intends to create these divisive narratives as well and everyone takes the bait obviously because he said something that was very controversial about a guy that we should not be focusing on the negative in any way right now at all so you know it's interesting because through this he may have actually turned him into one of the biggest stars through all of the people disagreeing with him you know what i mean he might. I mean, he already is. I mean, Stephen A. Smith gets paid a lot of money to just talk shit about people who are doing hard work. So, yeah, fuck that guy. That's the entirety of media. I mean, in general, right? Like we were just talking about it earlier with with the UFC stuff. But it's like it's it's all just high school drama elevated to a societal level. Yeah, he gets paid twelve million dollars a year just because he is controversial. You know, he's a, he's a qualified analyst, but he plays a character. He yeah. does this consistent. He plays a character that undermines society and undermines and hurts. Really, he does. There's no consideration of this. This affects people's m- mentally, their families mentally. It, it has a very negative impact, even though it generates ratings and revenue. And he yeah. is he is the highest paid analyst at ESPN. Well, I'll say he his comp is to deal with the backlash. That's how I see it. That, yeah. That's the money it requires to be able to close the doors and not have to deal with the backlash of what you say. But it brings into question what you're saying, which is the bigger conversation around media. Why are we doing things that are bad for our society just to get clicks, likes, tweets, or you know viewers and be able to sell that ad space? Like It's essentially just, I don't know, It's it's the same... Same thing as porn, but it's just not sexual in nature. Yeah, it's it's pretty terrible. You know, I missed I missed the days that sports we talked about sports. You know, we talked about what happened on the field, we talked about the players, their development. Like we are so far removed from that that it's always like let's look for the personality aspect of it. I mean, it's great in the sense that it's led to larger endorsements and, and, and money for players, but it's, it's, it's sad that so much of the focus is away from, you know, how good of a player somebody is. Like, literally, we have not seen a two-way player this good. The guy has over 30 home runs <laughs> as a pitcher. You know what I mean? Babe yeah. Ruth. And it, it's like... The last thing that we need to do is undermine him because he's not Caucasian. You know, yeah, that it's definitely true. I mean, I I, I couldn't agree more there. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it, the entirety of of media in America is a system that ironically affects what we consume. You know what I mean? So it's like we can be as infuriated as we want about these things, but you know, we're still watching, right? I guess like I'm happy I I didn't really know about this. I've been kind of out of the loop on all this BS because yeah. I just don't follow it. So I am grateful that I don't follow it because that's me voting with my, you know, with my eyeballs and my brain as to what I consume and, you know, what what is going to get my views. But it's an interesting trend and I see it happening across the board, even on social media as well. Ads digitally, like everything that's that's being advertised is starting to turn more infomercially, which to me means it implies a degradation of quality of content. You're getting cheaper buyers, lower quality traffic, etc. So there's a massive shift happening in America in a media landscape from a media landscape perspective and from an advertising perspective that's going to continue to warp the type of content we create and what resonates. Yeah. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that this is the content that we're forced to pay attention to. Your only option is to just tune out. And that's not fair either, right? Like we have the right to turn on ESP. We pay for these channels if you have cable. <laughs> it's like you have the right to turn on the TV and be entertained without having to hear a whole bunch of stuff you don't want to hear, you know? Yeah. I mean, if, if you want that, you know, go to YouTube. Yeah, exactly. That's where the good, uh, the good commentary is on there. Yeah, and I think, you know, outrage is not something that, it's funny, I used to be outraged about this stuff. Now it's just observing and reminding people of the harsh reality. Let's not live with these rose-colored spectacles about what America is. You know, it's, it's we have some fucked up things happening here, you know, and we don't plus, treat each other well. Plus when you have the opportunity to use your voice, like we, we have opportunities, like I think of ads as content, right? Because you're still consuming it. Yeah. We get suggestions of certain ads we should or shouldn't do for Lasso. And we never do the ads that are low quality that don't add to the narrative in a positive way. Yeah. And that is everyone has power based on the content they put out. Like, don't worry about the likes you get. Put out shit that's good, right? Put out yeah. shit that's like authentic to you that like you feel puts good energy into the world on all fronts. And we collectively make our world a better place it's not about engagement it's not about likes you don't need to be an influencer it's not yeah, lead, lead with authenticity and i think with social media marketing and social media marketing companies they focus so much on moving the needle and that's why we get a lot of this content that's just very negative you know not positive and a lot of it's intentional if you do the studies on on why they certain music is pushed certain TV shows are pushed, certain things, narratives on TV are pushed. It is to build that negativity. It's not for just strictly entertainment. It's very yeah. intentional why they do it. Yeah. So. When you do things for people, not for the profit line, the profit happens. But when yeah, you do that, things for the profit line, profit can happen, but it's very short-lived oftentimes. Yeah, that's the hack, right, that a lot of people don't realize. Um, yeah. Just focus on building something that's true to you. Yeah. So um, the last piece, uh, there was a false uh, sexual assault allegation against Georgia Tech's Josh Pastner, and uh, the judge actually convicted um, the person who created this false allegation. That's pretty nuts. Yeah, this is something that's, that's very personal uh, for me uh, because I had a good friend. Um, 
pretty publicly in the NFL draft a couple of years ago, um, have essentially lose about $8 million um, in salary due to uh, a false accusation. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty public story um, with what, what happened with, with Gary on Conley. And it's good to see uh, something like this happen um, where people don't realize that there is a culture now of essentially hustling or blackmailing people um, to try to get a bag, you know, um, and it's getting worse now with social media, but here's a situation where this could have destroyed Josh Pastner's co- career as a coach being falsely accused of, of sexual in- improprieties and, and then just also kind of being held, held, uh, blackmailed for it. This happens constantly, you know, there are so many things happening where, you know, fake pregnancies, you know, all kinds of like things that we're doing to hustle people to get money or putting there saying, look, if you don't give me something, I'm going to destroy your entire reputation. And we live in a country where it's like innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. But through the media, what we've learned is that the moment that an accusation even comes out, there's an assumption of guilt. There's not due process. And then also this, your job, you know, the NFL had to make a decision in, in very rapid fashion um, to decide if these, these things are valid or not. And there's still a PR hit that you're going to take. There are going to be people based on this that are always going to believe, that didn't read the details, are always going to believe that this coach um, did something sexually inappropriate to someone, you know? And that's, yeah. we got to, I don't know how you change that in a city, in a, a system of free speech, but um that is the reality. I know that they say that the the rates of of veracity and claims when people actually come out and publicly accuse someone of sexual assault it's very high because there's a lot of data about how much how hard it is to actually come out and say it. But there is a reality now of a lot of people taking down public people people in public positions, just, just blackmailing them to try to get money with no consideration of what could happen to them, you know? Yeah. A hundred percent. And I mean, you know, the, I think the moral of the story is don't do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> find a way, find a, find a real way to make money. Stop trying to, trying to, trying to figure out ways to hustle, hustle. People we know them. none of our listeners would ever do this, but you know, yeah. tell your friends, don't do that shit. Yeah. Don't do that shit. <laughs> that should be a, that should be a, a bit that we do. Yeah. Don't do that shit. And we just, just outline shit. all the stuff each week that we're like, don't do that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Be a good bit. Stop hustling people for money. We should do a, we should do a segment on that. Stop saying shit just for views. Yeah. Don't do that shit. Just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we will be right back. Our <laughs> today is about how to remind yourself things are going well when you feel like they're not. Show the Pilot Boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a pilot boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. 
We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Pilot Boys episode 90, Deep Dive. How to remind yourself things are going well when you feel like they're not. Now, I, I came up with this topic, V, because I was noticing like anxiety in, in my physical body. And I was noticing the effect of it. And it's just, it's such a wild emotion because it can really cripple your ability to do things. And it's so tied to like a lot of fears, a lot of like different parts of the human psyche. But as I was observing this, I was just like, well, it's weird that I even feel anxious because there's a lot of really good things happening around me. But the anxiety and like things like that, that are fear driven emotions tend to just show up sometimes in life and it can help to take a step back, look at the bigger picture and just say, hey, things are actually very, very good. I'm moving in an upward direction and this is a small bump in the road. It's not the end of the world. The fears, the voice in my head is showing me a worst case scenario, but you know, I would have to make a thousand wrong decisions to end up in that worst case scenario. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do you keep yourself straight when you notice the voice in your head start to spiral? I think there's a couple of things. I think one is, I know for myself, um, I take the time to live in it. Not for a mm. long time, but I embrace it as a thought that I need to process and digest. You know, something negative comes into my head or I'm feeling that way. It's, it's a lot of times it's your mind playing tricks on you because it is very stressful too when you have big goals and you're chasing them you're going to go through time periods where you you experience negative thoughts and negativity and and lose your optimism you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but the more and more those things happen the more and more you understand those are just moments in time you know yes. and the more you process why they're happening and ex- embracing that it's happening i think the effect of it in terms of the amount of time it impacts you you might versus having a bad month it will it will come down to having a bad week or a bad day or a bad few hours that i think should be the goal of of managing these things because i do think it's unrealistic to assume that you should just always be optimistic that's just not how human nature works that's not how our minds work you know yeah I, I couldn't agree more. It's actually, it's interesting. My, my therapist says the same thing about anxiety and any sort of emotion like that. It's, it's important to, to let it play itself out. Yeah. Um, but you don't want to dwell in it at the same time. Yeah. So typically emotion, <clears throat> emotions like that, they take 90 seconds. So 90 seconds of an emotion is how long it takes from when the brain releases those chemicals to when they're gone. Yes. So if you're in an emotional state that's negative for more than 90 seconds, 
you can rest easy because you've now started doing it to yourself. So you can just stop. <laughs> so you got 90 seconds of, of, of leeway with Partha after that. It's like, get over yourself. Yeah. After 90 seconds, it's time to look in the mirror and say, okay, that's over. Next thing. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. Breathing is very important when, yeah. when these moments happen, when you feel that rush, like literally just taking a moment and taking a deep breath and exhaling, it like gives you time to not emotionally react, right? So to true. whatever anxiety you're feeling. Um, and learning that, you know, is a process, you know? Yeah. You know? Yeah. B- breathing, there's breath work exercises you can look on, on YouTube as well that it could be five minutes, but it's just some different breathing exercises that really help settle your body. And yeah, to your point, V, most of us have anxiety in today's society because we don't breathe properly. Yeah. In fact, very few of us breathe properly. I mean, we're not given time to breathe. We're always digesting <laughs> some sort of, whether it's valuable or not, we're digesting some sort of information around the clock, you know, and processing so and making decisions nonstop. You know, there's not really time to chill. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's part of phone culture too, right? It's like mm-hmm. you step away from the computer, you're immediately on your phone. Why? Yeah. Yep. Why not just sit and be bored? Yeah. And schedule, schedule the times that you're going to be doing certain things. I mean, that helps. Yeah. You know, I'm still not perfect at it, but um, making sure you aren't, you aren't just constantly in flow. You got to take moments throughout the day to pause and think about your action and not just only act. You can stay moving, but take breaks. Yep. You know what I mean? Like if you just constantly are in motion, you're just, you're just doing right. Yeah. And sometimes you have to pause, you know, and it's also tough. Like if you are busy and you have multiple things going on, like trying to focus on all of those things at one time, if you've got six different text messages coming in about six different things and five different emails coming in about five different things, do you think that by just responding to all of that information right as it happens is the most effective way to, to handle it? And it actually probably creates more anxiety, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think boredom isn't talked about enough in today's society. I think it should be a goal for everybody to find some time every day when they're bored. (laughs) Yeah, boredom is critical, man. Yeah. If you're not (laughs) bored, then you're doing too much in your day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the most valuable emotions because it only happens when you're finished thinking about everything you need to think about. Yeah. And then also what usually happens out of boredom, you know, is is your most effective self. When you come yeah. out of that boredom and you start working again. Yeah, you're creative. Like you, get, you get a lot of shit done. <laughs> you're creative, you're energetic, you have great <laughs> ideas. Yep. That is so true. I don't think any school would would advocate for us to say just be bored, do nothing. But if we were to run a school, I think that would be there would be a class where you just have to put away your shit and you just sit there and look at the wall. Yeah. For like 30 minutes every day. Yeah. And I, I do this by the way. I do just sit there sometimes. I do it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I do it a lot. I know you do. 
I'll call you and it's just like you'll be what, what are you up to? It's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's critical, man. When I'm working, I probably have about uh, hate being asked like four to six hours of of effective uh, work rate every day. I couldn't do eight. I couldn't do an eight. That's why I don't have a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear that, man. <laughs> For some reason, I've chosen the opposite path with just way too much responsibility. Speaking uh, of, hey, man, that's that's why you're the CEO. I'm just... I know. Oh, man. Well, and I mean, that's that's life, right? But, you know, back to the original point, it's like there's there's this other aspect, I think, of um, anxiety and fear where you have like even the prescription of whether an event that occurs in your life is good or bad that is only judged based on your lens and your perspective of yeah things. yeah and that's important to remember as well because something you think may be bad may actually be your greatest blessing down the line and you might not know yeah growth comes through adversity it doesn't come through winning right mm -hmm. like you don't grow when you win like they always say this, you know, and I saw um, Draymond Green talking about it before. It's like getting to the mountaintop when they won the championship, the first championship, it was great. But after that, it was really, really hard because there was so much pressure, but there was also only so much better that they could get. It wasn't yeah. fun anymore. Um, and I think embracing adversity, it's like you can really, really find joy in that, you know? Yeah. It was a qu the question I have is this is one of those things like there are a lot of things in life that you know that's the right mentality to take, which is there's no good or bad. Right. But how do you actually develop the mindset to actually digest that and live that way where you're just looking at things through moments in time, good or but you're not looking at them and putting uh, an analysis of good or bad on them. Well, it's contextual. It's entirely contextual. If you're looking at your life through the lens of your career and everything is about your career, then of yeah. course, so many things are going to feel bad. You might not have the promotion you want. You might not get the pay raise you wanted. You might not get the job you wanted. You might be unemployed randomly, right? Yeah. All of these things happen. And yes, they're bad if you evaluate your entire life on whether you're employed or not employed or gainfully employed or how fast you're growing in that. But yeah. There's also family. There's also friends. There's also personal growth. And then there's also an entire planet and nature around us that we're more connected into and the entire construct that we've created that even dictates success, career, failure, whatever, is a man-made construct. Mm -hmm. So if you're able to step back and just remind yourself that everything that really causes us stress is of our own creation as humans, then it becomes a little bit easier to say, okay, well, maybe it's not that important. Yeah. Yeah, and even like little tricks of saying things to reiterate. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, if, if something something happens, you can you can live in it and say, "Fuck shit," you know. But if you f start finishing your sentences, but it's going to be okay. I think those are things that you know over time it tricks your mind too, right? If you just tell yourself. Whenever something bad happens, I'm going to make sure after I express my frustration, it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, it comes, it helps bring you back to balance. 100%. And I would say on that note, it's helpful to pick up a skill sport. 
to do some sort of skill-based game. So that could be something like golf. It could be you know, martial art. Something that is difficult to get right, to get perfect, where you're going to have more failure than not. Golf, I love because you, you really learn people's nature. You learn who can handle failure, who can't. Who can handle adverse outcomes and still recover? Who can't? Who's mentally strong? Who's not, right? Yep. And that just comes from not really caring about the outcome. You hit a bad shot and you look over and you're like, okay, interesting. I hit it really shitty out to the right. Mm-hmm. On my next shot, here's where I want to go with it. And you just observe as you take the shot. You don't judge yourself for it because every single approach, every single shot, is a brand new opportunity. So if you're carrying your weight from your previous one in, then you're already setting yourself at a disadvantage. It's much like free throw shooting, right? In the NBA, you just can't let that stuff stick with you. It's just each one's a new shot with fresh probabilities. Yeah. It's amazing too, for me, like golf, you brought up golf. It's very interesting. My experience with golf, right? When I first picked up a golf club, I was, uh, I was much younger and still in a very hyper competitive phase of my life where if I played a sport, I had to win. My team had to win. I had to win. I had to be good at it. And if I wasn't good at it, I couldn't handle the, the, the process of frustration that happened with that. And that happened with golf. Anybody who's ever picked up a golf club knows that it's, it's just not possible for you to pick up a club and be good. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but now, you know, and I had to go through the processing. That was a phase of my life where I had not grown mentally enough to be able to handle the adversity that comes with a sport like golf. But now I am, you know what I mean? Because I'm able to see that it's all about incremental growth, right? Like making small improvements. You're not going to just be great at everything. Yeah. But if you can incrementally approve, because that's what golf allows you to do. Like you said, you can know exactly what you did wrong on a shot. It might take a year for you to fix what's wrong, but at least you know what you need to do to get it right. Right. Because the mechanics are clear, you yeah. know, um, might need to train your muscle memory takes time, but that's a great, you know, way to look at life. Right. It's like the people who are looking at life and when they when things aren't going right are looking at how do I make incremental improvements to get it right? Or am I just going to ignore this and say I'm not good at it? So I just won't. I just won't. Bro, I I mean, absolutely. Right. Like that's that's exactly it. And, you know, I think the other part of it is that winners lose with grace. Yeah. To be a, a good loser, you have to be a winner. Yep. Because you acknowledge when you come up short in something, you acknowledge that there were factors out of your control that led to that. And it also means you have to acknowledge that in a victory, there were factors out of your control that led to that. Yep. The other person had to make a mistake for you to win. Yep. Ultimately, right? And that's what I really appreciated about how Neymar approached. You know, Neymar and Messi were, were teammates for many years at Barcelona in a defeat because he still hasn't gotten that big opportunity on the big stage yet either um, for him to take the moment, still be gracious um, to Messi tells you that he has a winner's mindset. Yeah. Because you know? yeah, he's not bothered by a loss. He's, he's like, okay, I'll just get him next time. Yep. 
Yeah. Yep. That's, yeah. I mean, that's ultimately the biggest takeaway from all of this is that wins and losses are just things. They're just moments in time and they're events that you, you know, mo- modify your course according to, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. It's not good or bad. You're just moving in the direction you're moving. And the, the truly successful in our society, they, the, Nafis and I had a great conversation about this last night. Yeah. The most successful people in our society find a way to turn every event that comes their way, whether it's good or bad, as a way to add to their momentum so that future yeah. events have less of an impact on them. So if you can find a way to channel negative emotions to get you to work better yeah. or harder or to add other skills to the to your belt or learn new things you wouldn't have learned if you could find a way to channel the positive emotions to give you more energy excitement charisma whatever it might be then you're winning on all fronts because everything that comes to you adds to what you're doing and like that's the mental trick to find unlimited success it's just about how you process yeah and and you you bring you bring up a great point that's also you know it's very well said I think also, I think if you look and you analyze people who are just winning all the time, you know, um, and they're just, you know, counting their wins, you can lose, you you can become a failure through only focusing on winning, right? Yeah. It can change your character. It can change a lot of things about you if you only see the good all the time, right? Yeah. And And you're not dealing with adversity. That's what happens to a lot of like child stars, for example, at a very young age, they deal with a lot of success as they get older and people don't, it's not as easy for them. They don't handle it as well because they didn't develop the mental state that takes, comes with absorbing your losses too, right? Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. It's very interesting to look at it that way too and saying, look, the, the wins and the losses are valuable in growth, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. And dude, I mean, the other thing is to recognize who's running your race and who's not because people love to compare against others, but oftentimes you, there's nothing in common with the people that you compare to. Like growing up, it's always like, oh, this person in the community scored better on this test than you did. Yeah. Or this person's, you know, better at this sport than you. And it's just like, okay, but the context is completely different. Like that person's dad was a pro athlete. You know what I mean? So yeah. it makes sense they're better at the sport. Yeah. This person doesn't have a social life. So it makes sense they scored better on the test because I was hanging out with my friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's there's so many rules. I think about it within entrepreneurship because there's a lot of weird competition between different founders and entrepreneurs. And yeah, I always weird. think, yeah, it's so strange. I always think about it and it's like, if I were to compare to anyone, right? First of all, did they drop out of college to start their company? If they didn't, we can't compare right off the yeah. bat because it's a different mindset that you're in. Did they leave their hometown, right? I've moved around a ton. That changes your mindset. Are they building something for social good and changing something about the industry they're in? Or are they just making money? That's another differentiating factor. There's a lot of people. Type of business, the the type of business that they've started, right? 100%. There's like a lot of different nuances that if you really think about it, you'll realize that you're not playing the same sport as anybody else in this world. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I get get knocked for a lot is understanding. I always look for context mm-hmm. in, every, in how I evaluate people, how I evaluate businesses. I always find, I like to find the reason that they are the way that they are. Sure. Because if you can understand that, 
then you understand that they are who they are, right? right. And they're not going to change that. How do you adjust your behavior to fit? Fit If you're going to have a relationship with this person, how do you then adjust your behavior to understand that, right? right? Versus constantly creating that conflict of like trying to change someone to be who you are. Right. Understanding and accepting that you're different, your context is different. And and therefore, understanding that context is the most critical thing because if you can understand context and perspective and put yourself in their shoes, then it creates a lot more harmony, quite yeah. frankly. Yeah, it absolutely I think does. it's one of those hacks. Like everyone's out here trying to prove their viewpoint on the world or that they're right or wrong. And that's how, and there is no right or wrong. It's just a whole bunch of people living through the context through which they were born in and developed through, you know? Yeah. And it's all right to be competitive, but you just have to know that that competitiveness is probably going to bring you unhappiness. Oh, it's, it's not. I mean, I hate to bring this up, but like, look, Conor McGregor is on top of the world. He's done well financially. He's, 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 but still being that ultra competitive and not just looking at it through the lens like, I've accomplished a lot and I'm happy as a winner and I took this loss because he's so hyper competitive. It's hard for him, despite all of that. In that moment, you, he wasn't a happy person. He wasn't yeah. a person that appreciated the moment. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I took a loss. I broke my leg. Um, but I've won plenty of matches. That's how Roger Federer approaches sports and why he's the greatest winner since Michael Jordan. Like he does not, when he loses a match, it's not, it's not, uh, he doesn't get upset. He doesn't he just like, it's part of the process. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's what I really love about the elite tennis players specifically. I would agree. I think Federer is just, he's on a different level with, with the way that he lives and handles his life. He's a yeah. super stable, balanced guy. And, know incredibly aspirational because of that right he, he just conveys a sense of stability because nothing around him really impacts him he's just there to play tennis yep 100 yeah he 100%. likes the game and he wants to play it with the best people in the world yep yep yeah it's uh it's fascinating man but it, it's the, the thing is is it's easy to think about these things and know what you need to do it's really hard to get out of your own way. Oh, yeah. It's incredibly difficult. But, to, to, to make it happen, you literally can only chip away. Yeah. You know, it's inch by inch. You can't turn this around in a day. It's going to take your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the things you're just not going to change, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> and so you just got to figure out and embrace yourself for who you are and figure out how to be effective through that. Through that. You know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know? That's something I notice as I age. If you're a younger listener, you know, now is the time for you to really be able to do the self-work and, and set yourself up well for life. But the older you, that you get, the harder it is to change the way your brain works. Yeah. You just get set in your ways at a certain point. Yeah, you do. You do. And stagnation like that is not, is not going to lead to much, much joy. No, so. no, it is not. So, well, on that note, things are going great. If you're listening to this, your life is awesome. Enjoy it. This was episode 90 from the pilot boys. We want to remind you as always stay moving and be you. You as fly. Pilot boys, we get on